For our scripture this morning, we turn to Jeremiah chapter 7, basically a summary of the Word of God that Jeremiah was called to bring to the nation of Israel, which had made itself ripe by its wickedness for the judgment of God. We're going to connect that more closely to the subject matter of the Heidelberg Catechism in the sermon, but you will notice that it concerns the name of God and the worship of God by His people who were called by His name, and even their worship of God in the temple where His name was found, Jeremiah 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if ye thoroughly ex- execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. But go ye now unto my place, which is in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I speak unto you, rising up early, and speaking, but ye heard not, and I called you, but ye answered not, therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood. And the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven. 
and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion of their own faces? Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, mine anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man and upon beast and upon the trees of the field and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and shall not be quenched. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and the imaginations of their own evil heart, and went backward, not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them, yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck, they did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished, and is cut off from their mouth. Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away. And take up a lamentation on high places, for the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not. Neither came it to my, unto my heart. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. And the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowl of heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall frighten them away. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. We read that far in God's holy word. This morning we consider the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 36. What is required in the third commandment that we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins and others, and briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence. 
so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? It undoubtedly is, for there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name, and therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we're going to depart somewhat from the pattern that is generally followed when treating the Lord's Day's about the law of God. This pattern is that the theme of the sermon about that particular commandment usually expresses in all the sermons about the commandments some common theme that is expressed the same way. If you would go back and review the sermons you have heard on the Lord's days concerning the law of God, you will discover that the minister, including myself, have sometimes picked a negative theme wherein the commandment is stated negatively, which most of the commandments are. Most of the commandments are stated negatively, thou shalt not. And so the theme on those commandments follows that order. Sometimes, because you know as well as I do that the commandments can be stated positively, that theme is stated positively throughout. And we have done that already in connection with these Lord's Days. When we examined for example, the commandment regarding God in terms of not simply having no idols or gods beside him, but looked at that positively, looked at it from the point of view of honoring God and having only God as our God. And that could be done various ways also by repeating the very language of the commandment or perhaps following some expression of the commandment found in the Heidelberg Catechism. Well, this morning we're going to look at this commandment differently than we did the first two and look at it negatively. And then we're not only going to look at it negatively in the theme itself, but use a word that perhaps you might not be used to. What we are used to with regard to this commandment, when regarding the commandment itself, which is take not the name of the Lord in vain, to look at it in terms of blasphemy or profanity, but not the word abuse. I do that deliberately this morning because that word has been in our vocabulary much in the last few years. 
There's been much talk about abuse, various kinds of abuse. Elders and the church itself has been charged with being abusive of the people and the office of all believer in its church government. There have been charges of spousal abuse, of one spouse abusing the other, or child abuse, whether it be a bully on the playground or a parent who berates and beats their child or even sexual abuse. And there has been criticism of that term. Some have said that that term should not be used and even say that that term is not biblical, it's not right. The sad thing is that this is often done not because someone would like to have a stronger term. For example, substituting the term murder, which most abuse is a form of murder, but because they would like to minimize the sin of an individual when they abuse another, whether it's in marriage or in the church or in a relationship. My response to that criticism is that if that is your ground, then you need to search the Scriptures better and you will find that it is a perfectly biblical term and you should church your creeds because it's also creedal and found here in this particular Lord's Day, which is enlightening all by itself. Here, the term abuse is used. We must not profane or abuse the name of God. And that's helpful, not only for defining what abuse is in any form, and regardless of the abuser or the object of the abuse, but helpful in understanding what it means and even that God and the name of God can be abused. In fact, if we are thinking rightly, we should be able to see that any abuse of a human being is largely because we are abusers of God and of His name. But notice here that that term abuse is associated with profanity, with blasphemy, with heinous and horrible sins. Sins that the Catechism goes out of its way to describe as most, most wicked against God that he punishes with death. That it brings this up in the commandment, which is the only commandment the Heidelberg Catechism treats in two Lord's Days, indicating the importance of this particular matter of abusing the name of God. So consider that with me this morning. Abusing the name of God. 
We're going to notice in the first place the sin that's condemned, then the reverence that's demanded, and then lastly, the abusers saved. We begin this morning by examining the sin condemned and looking at a few principles that lie behind this commandment. What is it that explains the commandment? What is it that explains the meaning of the commandment? Why is it that such strong language is used? And what is it that's actually being condemned? We look at a few principles first. The first is that God is His name. That principle is one that we ourselves should appreciate because we have names, and even though our names are completely unlike God's names, because as we're going to see, God's names reveal who and what He is. Our names do not do that. Yet we understand that a name is closely associated with the being or person themselves. That's true of us. If I would slander your name, if I would abuse your name or profane your name, in the same way that the Catechism speaks about us doing that with regard to God, we recognize that's not only a real possibility, but when that's done, What's done is being done to us personally. That someone, when they mocks our name or belittles our name, if they would in some way show contempt for our name, we take that personally because we understand that they are attacking us personally through our name. We know that if we want to injure someone or hurt them or harm them, then we attach some charge, some slander, some gossip, some lying, perhaps even the truth, but not the truth in love, to an individual's name. An important step of discipline is when the name of a sinner who has been under discipline and rejected that discipline up to that point has their name announced in the congregation. Conversely, when a sinner is received back into the church that is done using their name, and there is much rejoicing and joy over that. Well, What's true of us is even much more true of God. Because, you see, God is the invisible one. The very fact that God has given a name, revealed a name to us, the the fact that we're even here and can know a name of God is an amazing thing and speaks about God all by itself. So when God gives us a name, 
God is giving us that name so that we know something about him. God doesn't simply give his name like we do. Hi, I'm Bill. Who are you? So that they might call us by that name. But God gives us a name in the second place to reveal himself. Because that name is himself, it reveals him. And so that's another principle. The name of God really, we may say, is Anything that reveals who and what God is. Reveals something about God. That's what names were originally intended to be. That's what what names were even of creatures before sin entered into the world. So God reveals himself by these names. By these names, we're meant to know something about God. And if you go back to perhaps your essentials instruction in catechism. And remember when you studied the topic of theology called theology and then Christology and even with regard to soteriology and the work of the Spirit. Remember how many times something was done by examining the names when you got to the subject of God Then our catechism, and that's following our creeds and even Holy Scripture, just doesn't start spouting attributes of God as such, but it goes to His names. And it's noted that there are certain proper names of God. And those names are names that reveal who and what God is. Jehovah means I am. It indicates something about God. He is the I Am. He's above time, beyond time. He is the Eternal One. Herman Hooksmith says somewhere that you could probably, you could probably derive all the attributes of God simply from that one great name of God. A name that was so highly honored in Scripture that it was known as the name. The name of God. Even the term God reveals something about God. It's not strictly a name as such, but it differentiates the being and persons of God as entirely unlike anything else. There's God, and then there's everything else. There's no other gods, just this God. And then you you know there's all kinds of other names that indicate his relationship to us or his relationship to the creatures. He is the Lord of hosts. He is El Shaddai. He is the Almighty God. There are names that are simply attributes like Almighty. There's a name We know it's a name, but it's simply, if you look at it, an attribute that refers to God's omnipotence. There are descriptors, names and titles and terms for God using earthly things. He is the rock, the rock of our salvation. He is the high tower. He is our shield, our fortress. 
And we all know that those are all revealing something about God, even using earthly terms. Our fathers have also always recognized that God is His attributes, and therefore the attributes of God are His name. God doesn't simply love. He is love itself. You may put that in a capital L if you want. God is His grace. God is His mercy. God is His righteousness and holiness. So all those things are names of God. And what you say about them, you say about God. In that regard, another principle is that God's name is holy. It's especially here in this commandment and with regard to all the names of God that the holiness of God rises to primacy, if we want to put it that way. You see, blasphemy, profaning, and abusing God's name has to do with the relationship of the name of God to everything else, and that relationship is expressed by the word holy. Now, you could also say it's transcendent. It's amazing how often, with regard to keeping the name of God, honoring the name of God, glorifying the name of God. More attributes are often mentioned, but holiness underlies them all because to be holy is to be set apart from everything that is profane. And profane doesn't mean sinful. Profane in its essential meaning means simply common. So even as we're going to learn in the next commandment, This day is set apart from every other day, every other common day, every day which is profane. We have this holy day. So underlying the commandment with regard to the name of God is that God's names are holy. They're not like any other name. When we speak about the love of God, we're not talking about anything compared to earthly love. In fact, if we're thinking correctly, we should see that God is the source of all such virtue and perfection. Another principle is that if it's true then that the name of God is the revelation of Him wherever it is found and however it's found, we're talking about something that's much more than terms that this commandment is exceedingly broad. For you see, God reveals Himself virtually in everything. You name me one thing where God isn't somehow revealed. You can't think of anything. Because there's God and there's everything else, and everything else in one way or another is attributed to God. hell. Where did hell come from? Why is hell the way it is? Why is hell so terrible? Why is hell eternal? Why is there no escape from hell? Why is there even a hell? Because that's God revealing Himself. You can't even use that term without making a reference to God. Heaven. 
Heaven reveals who God is. It's where God has set his throne. Heaven is the opposite of earth. And we could go on and on. Is there anything in the world where God does not reveal himself? Look at the devil. You can't even talk about the devil without in some way referencing God. There's what you might think is the opposite. But he's not God. He was created. He was created perfect. So that when you see that monster and that beast, you can see something about his fall, about how, how far he fell. The wickedness of sin. The blindness of sin. You, you can see all kinds of things. And then what God thinks of him and what God does with him, all of it is somehow a revelation of God. So, this is much broader than we can imagine. For example, the creation is the name of God. Not simply that in the creation is the name of God, but the creation is the name of God. It's the revelation of himself. God made it. And we have always recognized, you recognize, when you look out in the creation and you're doing so by faith, you look and you say, wow, look what God has made. Look what He has done. Look at His wisdom. Look at the order. Look at the beauty. Look at the love of God. Even when you see the substance of the creation, that's substantial. The creation has an appearance of everlasting endurance. And that speaks about God and what God has in store for the creation. And God's plans for the creation, what God says in the Bible about what He's going to do to the creation, the destruction of it, but the recreation of it, all of it speaks about God. Now, that name is abused. Is abuse of God's name simply that people utter a few swear words? Certainly, that is a plague. And we should be mindful of what the Bible says, that in these last days, men will become blasphemers of God, not like they weren't before, but the blasphemy that was in the hearts and the expressions of this blasphemy will take increasingly evil and wicked forms. Men have always been blasphemers of God, using words and in certain deeds, but it increases Rare it is today when you can see someone or run into someone or talk to someone who doesn't blaspheme the name of God. Take that name in vain. Make it worthless. Make it empty. Make it unholy. Take away the special character of that name. But it increases. How so? What do men say about the creation today? Oh, God didn't make that. When you attribute creation to something other than the handiwork of God as it's recorded in Scripture, a creation by word and by deed in six days, say, no, that's not what happened. You blaspheme the name of God. That's not innocent. That's blasphemy. When you look at that creation and you say the things that men say about that creation, that's blasphemy. When they deny Parts of that creation. There's no heaven. That's blasphemy. God created heaven. 
There's no hell. That's blasphemy. God created hell. That's a reality. It's blasphemy to deny that there's a spirit realm. Even if men can't see it, they ought to know one exists because man knows himself to be a spiritual creature. He is not body but also soul. So it is blasphemy of God to take all of human life and all of human experience, to take all the human emotions and simply make it a matter of atoms smashing around in chemical composition. God's name is the revelation of His providence. Men blaspheme and abuse the name of God when they don't grumble and complain about God's way, about what's happening, about the weather, about the economy, about the leaders of our nation. That's abusing God's name. We read in Lord's Day 10 that one of the things we ought to learn from providence is patience and adversity and thanksgiving and prosperity. Well, when we are impatient in adversity, when we are disgusted, when we are bitter, when we complain, when we grumble, that is abusing the name of God. When in prosperity, prosperity that God has given, we want even more. When we are not content even with that which God has given when we use it in the service of self rather than the advancement of the neighbor, that's abusing the name of God. Do you see how comprehensive this commandment is? It literally governs all of a person's relationship to God. All of it. Not just simply what comes out of our mouth, but what's found in our heart, the expression of our deeds, our actions, everything. And not simply here and there. It's not simply that God's name is blasphemed now and then, or by a few, or more now than it was before. But in everything, man is an abuser of God. He's a hater of God. And this commandment, you must see, really encompasses the whole of the first table of the law with regard to God. It explains what it means to have God as our God and to have no other gods. How is that expressed? The answer is by the third commandment. Whether a man goes to church or doesn't go to church, and what he does in church versus what he doesn't do in church, is either blasphemy or the opposite with regard to the name of God. There's the revelation of God's name in the Word that we know to be the Word. Every word in that word is the revelation of God. It is His name, not just simply those words that are names of God, but all of Scripture. All of Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is for the revelation of Himself. It's not, first of all, a self-help book. It's not about you. It's not even a book that talks about the future, that prophesies of what's coming ahead. It's the revelation of God. That name of God is abused when men say, well, that's the Word of man. It's not inspired. The name of God is profaned or abused when men say even, well, it's partly the Word of man. Or 
men will say, well, it's the Word of God, and it's inspired, but I'm going to give my own private interpretation of this or that. I'm going to twist this. I'm going to change it. I'm going to turn it into something that it doesn't say because it doesn't fit my theology or my way of thinking. That's blasphemy. In other words, false doctrine is blasphemy. Disobedience to the Word of God is blasphemy. It's not simply that by our behavior we can be the occasion for others to blaspheme. Don't minimize that. Scripture speaks frequently about that. But by our own behavior, we blaspheme the name of God. We abuse the name of God because we're disobeying His Word, which Word is the revelation of Himself. Then there's the chief revelation of God that is given. We haven't even gotten to the heart of the matter. What is the name of all names by which God reveals Himself? What is the one great revelation of God? What is the one thing that when one looks at it, one sees the full manifestation of God as it can be seen by men? What is the perfect image of God? What is the perfect revelation of God? The Word incarnate. The name of Jesus. Because in Him, God reveals His great work of salvation, His work of redemption, His work of sanctification. In Him, God reveals His grace as well as His justice. God reveals His mercy, His peace, His righteousness. He reveals it all. There it all is. And men abuse that name. They abuse the revelation of God in and through Him, even in the Old Testament before He was incarnate. That's who was being rejected. God is and always will be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you blaspheme the name of God, don't forget you blaspheme and abuse the name of Jesus Christ. It is really the one fundamental thing by which God will judge all men. What did you do? to my son Jesus Christ. What did you think about him? What did you do with him? What did you do with his name? And there you see the greatest blasphemy of all is unbelief. Especially when that name is revealed through the preaching of the gospel. When God preaches that name and proclaims the name and shows the greatness of who he is in Jesus Christ. And a man in Romans says, I won't believe. I don't believe. I won't receive it. I want nothing to do with it. When one takes that salvation of Jesus Christ and turns it into a salvation of himself, by himself, through himself, for himself, that's the greatest abuse of God's name. That's when God is most provoked and angry, if we may put it that way. Do you see now why the sin is so heinous? Why the language used is that it's horrible, according to the Heidelberg Catechism. It is heinous. There is no sin more provoking to God. We might question that and say, what, really? I mean, not even having another God? No, because having another God is to profane the name of God. But it all centers here. It all comes down to this. This commandment governs the whole entirety of one's relationship to God. Either one God loves him or he hates him. He's either abusing his name or using it rightly. One or the other. 
And so the question really is, does God think of someone? What, how does God deal with someone who does not love Him, does not serve Him, does not use His name rightly, does not believe in Jesus Christ? And the answer is they're punished with death. Eternal death. Fundamentally explains why all men will die. And the only way of salvation from eternal death is by faith in Jesus Christ. Now that helps us understand more than what it means to use the name of God with fear and reverence. Notice how this is all linked. First of all, notice, will you please, again, that this commandment is not simply about speaking the name of God. That's why the Catechism even speaks of, or the commandment is to take the name of God in vain. Take as a deed. Take as an action. It's not simply speech. It doesn't simply say about using it or speaking it, but taking it. That is because with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we take the name of God in one way or another, and we either use it or abuse it. So it's not simply a matter of speech, but the whole of one's life and conduct. And then notice the contrast. There's no third thing. You either, like the ungodly and the wicked, abuse, profane, blaspheme, and abominate that name, drag it through the mud, consider it dirt, even below us, and God therefore too, or you fear and reverence that name. There's no middle ground. It's not like the commandment calls us to fear and reverence His name here and there on this day or that day for a few hours here, a few hours there, but it governs all of one's life. You may summarize all of our activity, behavior, and attitude toward God in terms of this commandment. Look, listen. That we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence. That refers to using the name of God in creation. Using the name of God with regard to providence. Using the name of God with regard to His holy scriptures. Using the name of God in anything you do. Using the name of God with regard to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why it goes on to say, so that when this is done, the result is, or even better, this is how it's used with fear and reverence. This is the time. This is what it consists of that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped. And by worship there, the catechism doesn't mean, well, when you're in church. Let's make sure that in church you use that name aright. That you honor that name and think right thoughts about God. That you recognize who and what He is. But the other time you don't. No. Now let's not minimize that mention of worship. That all by itself is significant. If you ask yourself why it is that we worship the way that we do as opposed to the way that others worship, the answer is the third commandment. It's not just the second commandment, but notice the second commandment is expressed in the third. Remember the second commandment. We may not worship God any other way than He has commanded His Word. To do that is blasphemy. To do that is abusive to God's name. And that's what goes on in a lot of churches. The worship of God is simply made the same kind of behavior and activity that man has toward football players and basketball players. 
God is simply treated like your next-door neighbor or somebody. There may be a lot of respect and honor to a certain extent, but not that which is owed to God. Not that which regards God as completely other than the creature. It's not fear and reverence. It's making God common. Common music, common language, common speech, common clothing. Don't forget that. Why do we dress the way we do when we come to church? Why do we come in? Why is there silence? Why aren't we all just talking to one another with a big cup of coffee in our hand and a donut? Why is it we don't have a big drum set over here with a couple of guitars blaring? Because that's all the stuff that goes on around us all day, every day. That's what we can do in coffee shops and bowling alleys. That's the kind of music we can hear on our radio and wherever we go. No. Our worship is governed not simply by the second commandment, but it's expressed in terms of the third. It's keeping the name of God holy. It has to do with worship. But don't forget this. It mentions not only confession, but worship and nothing else. It goes on to say, and be glorified in all our words and works. But take note what the implication of that is. What that means is that all your works in one way or another are the worship of God and concern the name of God. Wish you had time to go into this this morning more, but the Bible emphasizes many, many times that's why our behavior says more about the name of God than even what comes out of our mouth. There's a reason why the warning comes to us. Live this way. Live righteously. Live righteously before God. Because otherwise, others may blaspheme God and you blaspheme God and His name. You know that true, right? That's why when our children behave, right? We have a son that does something sinful and wicked. We get embarrassed. We get angry. We get mad. Sometimes we punish them. We... Lay down the law, and sadly, it's only because they hurt our name. Why? Now everybody knows my name, and they're going to think about something about me, and what you did reflects on me. Well, that, that's good and true, but really the main concern should be, what did you just do to the name of God? What did you just do to the name of God? What did you just show the world that you think about the name of God? What did you just tell the world that God is in your eyes? nothing but blasphemy and abuse. That's what. And that's really the thing that we ought to bring to our children when they misbehave and are sinful, right? Not the damage and harm they cause to us. There's truth to that. But our main concern is God. Now what that shows then is all of our life is a form of worship. doesn't mean we go to work with our hands folded and our eyes shut and we're meditating and praying directly to God all the time. That's not the only speech that we have, but God, but all of our life and behavior, like God's, is a revelation of who and what we are and is a form of worship, is a recognition of what we think about God, what we consider Him to be. Even the time that we spend on things indicate that. How man goes about his work and labor all pertains to using the name of God with fear and reverence. You could... Go to your job, never utter a profane word, perhaps even defend the name of God there at your job, and then still blaspheme the name of God because your attitude at work and the way you go about your work, and the way you behave towards your fellow worker or perhaps your employee is wicked. 
and sinful, unloving, unrighteous. So using the name of God with fear and reverence means that we fear and reverence God in all of our life, in all that we do, on Sunday through Sunday. And it has to do with glorifying God. Notice it has to do with glorifying God in all our words and works. There's people who glorify God only in their words. They're full of much talk about God, whether in church or in their life. God be praised for this, and God be praised for that. Thank God for this, thank God for that. And their life is an abomination. Their life proclaims loudly, I'm not thankful to God about anything. I don't fear God, I don't reverence God. Not the way it ought to be. Conversely, too, if we honor God with our works, we will also God honor God with our words. It, it, what reminded sometime, beloved, of what Jesus often spoke about that that which goes out of a man is what defiles him, not what goes in. We get all concerned about what goes in the mouth, and Jesus warns about that. Don't be so concerned about what goes in your mouth. That's not what defiles you. It's what comes out that defiles you. And what he means by that is not that you're holy and clean, and if you say a swear word, that now defiles you. But what he means is, that's how you know what's in a man. Lessons of life to be learned sometime. You, you know what's in a man, what's hidden in a man. Number one, by the circumstances in which he conducts his business under pressure. By what he says and what he does when he's under pressure. What comes out when he's under pressure? That's usually a good indication of what's hidden there inside. But then what comes out? What comes out? If it's grumbling and complaining and bitterness and anger, complain about this person in that situation, criticism, do you see that as abuse? Sometimes not only abuse of your fellow neighbor, but abuse of God. Do we connect those dots? When something wicked and abominable slips out, I know. We say, yes, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, I might say that too. That is an indication of what's inside, beloved, in our depravity and our nature. So consider this when considering the name of God and why we ought to honor it with fear and reverence, which is again, what does God think of this sin? It's not what we do. If you want to know what we think of this sin, then just simply observe. And how often do we really defend the name of God when someone blasphemes in our presence? Or see the little smile on our face when a word comes out that shouldn't come out and compare it to God's attitude. God has declared that this sin is punishable with death. This is his condemnation of all mankind and it's his condemnation of you and me. Contrary to what we think about abusers, whether it be abusers of mankind or abusers of God in his name, God's sentence upon abusers is death and eternal death. That judgment is deserved. But does God destroy 
all abusers. No. He's also the God who saves them and delivers them. The revelation of God is also found in His salvation in the name of Jesus Christ who saves the very people who put Him to death, who delivered Him over to the tormentors, delivers those who spat upon Him and scorned His name, even those who live in unbelief and say, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus, the revelation of God, saves abusers. All abusers? No. Oh, no. No. He saves those who love Him, who repent of their abuse, who hear His Word and say, I'm sorry. I see the evil that that is. I see how offensive it is. I see the sin of it. And I hate it. And the individual who sees that even God works that, that's part of His salvation, that's part of His deliverance, and takes those very abusers and turns them into worshipers and those who glorify His name. So my question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that this God has through His name, great name, atoned for your abuse? And your horrible mistreatment of His name. That God in Jesus Christ has laid the death and destruction that you deserve for your abomination against Him and His Word. Against who He is on His own Son. Endured that death for you. Now, that's a name you can see we ought to honor at all times and with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, forgive our many sins, our wickedness, our misuse of Thy name, our mistreatment of Thee, the living God. Forgive us. Forgive us for Thy namesake. Redeem us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Deliver us from that great temptation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.